Welcome to DLSN, a podcast brought to you by McGuire Woods. DLSN promotes the advancement of women in private equity and finance through conversations with women in the private equity and finance space. These conversations provide both insights and practical takeaways to inform your deal work and enhance the culture of your organization. If you're ready to drive the industry toward a more inclusive and diverse environment, then it's time to come to the table. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. This is another episode of DLSN, a podcast brought to you by McGuire Woods. Today, we have Rennie C. on the line, and uh, Rennie is the Vice President of Business Development and Investor Relations at Boyne Capital. Rennie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Kelsey. Thank you for, uh, for a great introduction. Thanks for having me. Rennie C., I am a VP of Business Development and Investor Relations at Boyne Capital. Boyne Capital is a lower middle market investment firm. We are headquartered in Miami. We've been around since 2006. We invest in companies with EBITDA, three to $15 million. And what we position ourselves to do is we partner with founders-owned businesses or family-owned businesses and help them to achieve their long-term exit plan or to grow to the next level together. So for those businesses who look for a partner that can provide more than just capital. So what I do here at Boyne is to connect with potential acquisition targets or potential partners. And at the same time, I also help manage relationship with our investors. I've been at Boyne for about four years now, and I came from a very non-traditional route. I was a professional classical pianist prior to starting my career in finance. I'm just so intrigued. How did you pivot? from being a classical pianist into this completely other world, which I know has a lot of parallels and leans on a lot of your skill set from being a classical pianist, but it's such an interesting turn. And I think it would be so hard to let go of something. And I know you didn't totally let go. I can only imagine that you still, still play. How did you make that turn? What was that path like? Let me tell you, Kelsey, it doesn't get any more real life than this. I started piano when I was very young, so it was pretty much decided for me. I was given a target by my parents, and I was laser-focused, and that's what I got, right? I got to college and get my master's degree, and then eventually got my doctorate in piano performance. And then once that's done, I was kind of like, oh, I spent my whole life going after this target, and now I'm there. I haven't really stopped and asked myself, and then what? Right. So I get to that point, and here I am, married and a young mom with a two year old baby, and I had to still practice eight hours a day, go perform and teach, which is all great because I love doing those. But then it takes me away from my baby quite a bit. And as I alluded to earlier, financially, it didn't really make sense for me to be spending that much time away from him at such a young age. So my husband and I sat down and decided, okay, maybe going back to school was the right choice to make. And let me tell you, it was so scary. And I I remember just sitting there, I was like, what do you mean? I, I don't know anything about business. And he said, oh, but you do. 
you taught your your students, you had to invoice them, you had to promote yourself, you also had to promote yourself to do performances. I was technically like, you know, running this little artist management thing, right? And then I'm like, okay, well, let's just study for the GMAT and, and it doesn't hurt. And then I started researching about like, you know, what would be the best field to go in. And I've always liked numbers. I always like math. I like money. So yeah, that's basically what happened. What made me pivot from, from music to finance, but I did enjoy it. Do you find that you can relate to the founders a bit more because of that background? Because you effectively were a founder, you were booking your own gigs and you know, uh, marketing for students, for lessons and all of that aspect. Do you find that that kind of getting your business up and running helps you relate to them? I mean, sadly, like I never, I never got to that point where I can be called a founder, but I can relate to them in a sense that, you know, usually music, everybody likes music and there's always like common something to talk about. With, with people. Hey, I used to be a pianist. And just like this episode, right? People are usually intrigued. Like, oh my God, you were a pianist, but that's so different. Tell me more. That little arsenal in my toolbox, I'd say, you know, conversation starter has helped me connect more with people, let it be founders or intermediaries or new, new business connections. And, and it also shows my vulnerabilities. I'm human too. I'm a mom, I'm a working mom who's struggling. He used to be a pianist. And, and that usually opens up people to me. That's incredible. I had noticed that you're a pianist by informally trained. With that background, what attracted you to private equity and finance? And how did you get where you are today? So I took a long detour to finance is what I like to position it to other people. But actually, having a background as a classical musician really prepared me for this career, believe it or not. So I grew up uh, going back, you know, probably what, almost four decades. I grew up in, in Jakarta, Indonesia. I was the first one to go to college in my family. And since the age of three, I started playing piano. I've always been attracted to, to the numbers part of music. But uh, without discounting it, it's still a very steep learning curve, but definitely something that I still enjoy and would hope to do for many years to come. I'm sure that having supportive colleagues in your new path and to teach you kind of what they knew already was really, really helpful. Did you have any concerns from the outset before heading down, you know, a completely new path? Of course, right? I mean, what I, I did piano since I was three until 27. It does feel good to be really good at something, like you're an expert of something. So that transition from going, to, you know, knowing everything and being an expert in your field to knowing nothing was challenging and difficult. But like I said, if, if you are surrounding yourself with the right people and you have the right mentality and just take it, a step at a time, it's doable and it will be rewarding at the end. I know that's something that's probably really engaging for someone that, as you described, a pianist and classically trained musicians are often somewhat competitive. So it's both a challenge, but it could probably be really frustrating starting back from 
kind of scratch in a completely new area. But now you've developed your expertise in this area as well. And so looking forward, what would you say is, you know, a goal that you have set for yourself for the next year? So I'm a planner, just like most moms, I guess. But I do also have learned in a hard way that having unrealistic goals is basically setting yourself up to fail. So now I'm more of the mindset of like baby steps. Hey, if like tomorrow I do better than what I did today, I'll take that win. I'm happy. So if you ask me what is a goal that you have set for yourself in the coming year, hopefully I can just look back and say like, okay, I, I know more than I did last year. And I bring more value to the firm, my family, more than I did last year. And I'll take that win. What would you say as, as a mom, as a woman in this field, why do you think it's important for women to be in private equity and deal work? I can think of several reasons, actually. So we all know that diversity is important for growth in all aspects, right? We work and we view and see things very differently from our male counterparts. So the first reason that I can think of, well, we may connect with women founders and business owners better because we may speak their language, we may listen better, we may understand their position better and their struggles, right? Just simply because we're women. Second, we may see certain angles and solutions and methods that others didn't think about before. And that might spark new ideas, such as new products or services if you're going to be an entrepreneur or new solutions that people never thought of. And this doesn't apply just because you're, you're a woman, but you know, this applies also for people who come from diverse backgrounds. Like, you know, a musician would see things differently from someone who was working as an engineer previously. And the last one that I can think of, and this is near and dear to my heart because I have a young daughter and she is five years old and just started kindergarten. I think it is important for women to be in this field because it will signal to the next generation, to young women, that this industry is not impossible. You know, there are women who have been in this field and enjoyed it and been successful in it and would love to have younger mentees and would love to mentor them. And I always tell my daughter, you can be whatever you want to be when you grow up as long as you're willing to put the work in it. Well, as I heard, she wanted to be a firefighter. But I take that because the last time before that, she wanted to be a unicorn. Now that might be impossible. (laughs) That's really good. I I do think that it's so important for people to see. I mean, representation is just important to see someone that you can relate to doing in a field that you want to be in. It just helps you see that Maybe you don't see the full path that's laid out ahead of you, but you can see someone at a stage along that path where you hope to be someday. So I I do think representation is just critical. I know we've talked about this, touched upon this a little bit, both, you know, as coming from classical music background, coming at your career also as, as a mom, as a woman in this field, how has your background and experience prepared you to be effective in what can sometimes be a challenging environment for women of diverse backgrounds? So when I was a pianist, I used to practice, you know, on a good day, eight to nine hours a day. And for 
musicians, when we say practice, we usually break down. We don't play the same piece over and over again, but we do play sections of the pieces over and over again, even though it's like the same exact thing. And what that does is like, you keep seeing things differently, even though it's the same. You start noticing minor tweaks and certain details that you didn't see before, and you keep working at it until you're satisfied, which is what my husband used to say, okay, the definition of insanity is repeating the same thing over and over again. I guess we were all totally insane then. <laughs> but um, that training, that discipline to just, you know, sit down, work on this, look at it for eight hours, at least day in, day out, doing the same thing is what prepared me for this challenging environment. I focus on my process. And I'm really disciplined at it, especially when it comes to new deal origination. I don't get discouraged easily because I realize some things are outside of my control. But to be able to focus on your process and keep honing your craft is incredibly important. And to have the grit and the discipline to do it, even though it came from a very different background, definitely prepared me mentally to excel. And I'm fortunate because at Boyne Capital, the leadership here understands that, you know, diverse backgrounds bring diverse perspectives and provide diverse value adds. I'm happy that I, I get to use what I was good at back in when I was doing piano to now doing this. So I would say definitely the discipline and focus on process helped me to be effective. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting analogy because there's so many different parts to it, right? There's the overall learning a new piece that you're in each day of practice, but there's the melody itself, you know, and how you play different parts of it, even though you might know it really well, right? Like in any deal process, there's new things that come up or new things that you, or parts of it, the process that are more critical on a certain deal than in others, how you, soft play or soft pedal, certain aspects of communications. I mean, all of that. And of course, the first few notes, right? The introduction that you're making to people as you're getting to know them. So there's just so many different uh, parts of that that go in and certainly the discipline to sit there for eight hours and work on something and hone your craft and come back at it and try to find something new each time is just, there's a lot of overlap in those skill sets that you really wouldn't think of initially. Yeah. I I also hear similar parallels with athletes and I can definitely see how that overlap, that skill of discipline and practicing to discipline and finance. Because there's not, you know, your ultimate goal is just to get the, is to get the deal on the door, then get the deal closed. And there's so many different ways that you can go about that along the path. But if you're not disciplined in approaching it each day and each stage, you're never going to get to that ultimate goal. And for anyone that trains, whether it's musically or as an athlete, they're so used to that picking it up every day and making sure that they're putting in the work to get it to the next day. That's really, really interesting. I guess along those lines, do you have any advice that you've been given during your career that you thought was 
really insightful or helpful? I guess an old mentor once told me that doesn't matter where you work or what you do in business, that is, your job is to make friends. So that's true to a certain degree, but, but that resonates with me because this role especially is, is a relationship management. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of deals done because of relationships too. That advice really, I keep in mind whenever I go to a new place, to conferences, just to make sure I connect with people, whether or not like, you know, making sure that I know their first name or, you know, send a thank you note, little things like that, that goes a long way. That might not be like a big, aha, that's such a great advice type of thing, but, but it does work. And it's a great life lesson for me to go by. I just think that's important across the board with your internal team and, you know, with external, with business development, with your interactions, when you're client facing, because it infiltrates every part of the deal. For me, how you interact with opposing counsel and your collegiality and your approach, a seller is so, this may be a founder, for instance, is so tied to their business. It's such a personal thing for them. I mean, I think emotional intelligence is a really important part of the process and trying to read the room. And the same goes for your team, knowing when they, knowing what's going on in their lives and how, you know, when, how you can hit certain timelines, how to get everyone to kind of come together to focus on something. In my experience, people, whether it's clients, whether it's people that you've just met that you're hoping to develop into business, or it's someone on your team, people react well when you're genuinely interested in getting to know them. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of just like, like interacting them in a very transactional way, knowing why they're interested in this business and how it fits into their overall structure and their kind of idiosyncrasies as people and preferences for whether it's the timeline or the work product or whatever it is, but that just flows. I think that serves you in every, in any field, but I think it's particularly important in the deal process. You're right. I want to ask your signature question. And um, this one is if you could give yourself any advice when you were just starting out in your career, what advice would you give yourself? Be nicer to yourself and take the small wins. And I can elaborate a little bit more. Uh, Now that I'm older, I realize that I am hardest to myself. Like I would get something done or accomplish something and then belittle myself unconsciously. But you can't be perfect with everything. You can't be the room mom and then the number one employee, and then the number one wife. I don't know, maybe somebody does. Somebody is able to do that, but not me. I'm just human. But, you know, I think it's important to pat yourself in the back when you know you've done your best and take the win and say, you know what? I've given my best and I'm proud of myself. Maybe tomorrow I'll do better. I'll pat myself harder in the back tomorrow. I think a lot of young people are working hard with a goal in mind, and and so they should, but they they don't pause, or the ones that I see don't pause enough to actually take a moment and say, like, you know what, I did well today. And I think that's important. 
And I think that sometimes people that are more competitive or kind of can be perfectionist gravitate towards this field. Those personalities can, you can be so hard on yourself and focus on the negative and I did 10 things right today, but I did one thing that I wish I had done better and just focus on that one thing instead of taking a moment saying, look at the nine things I did really well today, using those to kind of like prop yourself up to think about how you might do that other thing better in the future. But that's so true. Just taking that moment to enjoy it because it's so fast paced. It's so hard driving. And if you're not soft to yourself a bit and congratulate yourself, you know, when you hit those milestones and celebrate them, that could be a hard road to hoe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, like also feeling good about your wins and actually taking the wins would propel you for a better, you know, effectiveness and productivity in the future. At least in my experience, that's what I think. And I think that when you are willing to oh man, we closed the deal. That was great. And take that moment with yourself and with your team, which relates back to the relationship building. That's a great milestone. That's a, it's an accomplishment. That's great that, you know, that deal got closed. Take a moment, celebrate that with your client, celebrate that with your team so that they know that you appreciate what they've done too. Because if you're not taking the time to appreciate what you've accomplished, You're, you may not be taking the time to appreciate what they've accomplished along the way. So I have to ask you, as a classical pianist, who is your favorite classical musician or composer? I love Rahmaninoff. Yeah, no doubt. Love, love, love Rahmaninoff. Do you have a favorite piece? It's hard to say. I have a little YouTube video of me playing this transcription the original composer wasn't Rahmaninoff. He's called Little Light. It was by Franz Chrysler, I think. I think it was Chrysler. It was originally for piano and violin, but was transcribed by Rahmaninoff to a solo piano arrangement. Just a really beautiful piece. Do you still listen to classical music when you're, when you're working or when you want to get fired up for a presentation or a client meeting or anything like that? As weird as it is, I don't, because if I start listening to it, I start analyzing and criticizing the performer. Hard <laughs> <laughs> as it's a break. That's great. I, it's funny because I can only listen to classical music when I work, but um, because the, otherwise the lyrics distract me because I used to sing when I was in, you know, grade school through college and a little bit after, but the lyrics distract me. The music I find uh, enhances my work. <laughs> so, um, but that's funny because the music is essentially to uh, akin to the lyrics for you. Uh, so I can imagine that'd be very distracting. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. This has been such an incredible conversation. I, I mean, your background is just so so different, kind of unexpected, but the interplay and the way that it's helped you succeed in your career, I think is and can be an inspiration to a lot of people listening in that are maybe not coming just straight from a, originally from a finance degree or didn't have deal work in mind when they were coming out of law school. So thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk to us today, Rennie. Thank you so much, Kelsey. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of Deal Us In. 
if you have a recommendation for an inspiring interviewee, a question you'd like us to ask, or topic you would like to hear covered, or if you'd like to tell us about women-focused initiatives in the field, please email us at wpef at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This podcast was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in the podcast. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action.